Good morning. Please turn to the book of Judges. That's in the Old Testament. Actually, you can sit down. You don't have to stand. <laughs> I'm going to do it slightly differently this morning. Book of Judges, chapter 13. And we'll be looking at Judges 13 through 16. We won't be looking at it in depth because that's a lot of chapters in a short period of time. But for those who may not know or may not have ever read the book of Judges, this is Judges 13 through 16. This is the story of Samson. <coughs> Samson was a judge in Israel, and we're going to be looking at his strength, his struggle, and his redemption. The thing about Samson is, is that Samson is also... Probably of all the judges, he is the most Christological of the, of the 12 judges that are spoken of in the book of Judges. Now, there aren't, there's more than 12 judges, but in the book of Judges, it only speaks to, to 12, and he would be the 12. So let's go ahead, let's pray, and then let's, let's jump into our, our study this morning. Father, we just ask that you'd be with us. Help me, O oh Lord, to be a good teacher, to speak clearly and concisely. Um, and Lord, help us to grasp, to understand the truths from thy word, and then Lord, help us to apply it. Help us to be good servants of you, Lord God, and may you be glorified in all that we do this morning. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I just wanted to, first of all, tell you how we're going to navigate through four chapters. So it's going to be from a 30,000 foot view. It's a summary of the life of Samson. And so in this outline, as you can see, I have three uh, Roman numeral points here. In Judges 13, we'll look at Samson's divine calling. Number two, we'll look at his struggles from Judges 14 through 16:22, and we'll just touch on a couple of those struggles along the way. And then, of course, his redemption, Samson's redemption, which is in 16, chapter 16:23. 16, through 31. And so I have three objectives. One, I want to tell the story. Tell the story of Samson. We've all heard the story of Samson, but I, but I think when we look at when we really look at the story of Samson from the scriptures, it's a little different than maybe what we've heard in the past. Secondly, the Christological connections, you know, the 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 the, the, the similarities as well as the differences between Samson and Jesus. Samson was a judge. Jesus is the judge, right? Samson was a deliverer, a savior, right, of Israel. And Jesus is the savior of the world. Amen. And of course, then, we're going to look at practical application. How do we take what we're learning from the story of Samson and apply it in our lives each day? Now, many times people think, well, it's the Old Testament, so really, it, I don't think it applies. No, they, principally, it does apply. There are many things from the Old Testament that don't apply, but there is practical application from the Old Testament. So we'll start at Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 32 to 34. And if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, you know, that's the, what they call the hall of faith, right? And so all of those folks in the hall of faith are what? Believers, right? By faith, they did stuff. On top of that, they were just ordinary folks. They were ordinary people like you and I. There was nothing perfect about them. They weren't supernatural. They weren't superhuman in any way. Whatever they did, whatever God called them to do, they were empowered to do it by Yahweh. 
And so we'll see here, it says in 32, 34, because I wanted to show you Samson. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith. And look at all the amazing things that they did, right? Conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, obtaining promises. Samson, this is what he did. He stopped the mouths of a lion, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Weakness was turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed armies. Some of the judges were military-style leaders, and so they were uh, helping Israel uh, flee their enemies uh, via military action. But the one thing I wanted you to, to understand about Samson is that as we go through Samson's life, you're going to see his life looks nothing like what we would expect the life of a believer to look like. As a matter of fact, we'll probably think Samson's not a believer. He can't possibly be. But he is. He was a follower of Yahweh. As a matter of fact, Yahweh raised him up to be a judge to lead Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he's a believer. And how else do we know? Well, because he's here. He's here in the New Testament. His name is written in the hall of faith. And there are many others that we, we could go back and look at Lot. Did you ever really think that Lot was a believer? No way, right? But he is. And so we will see him as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So just to kind of give you some background on the book of Judges. So Judges, the time period of the Judges is between the death of, of Joshua, okay, and then the rise of King Saul. Joshua, uh, uh, Joshua leads the Israelites right into the, into the promised land. He dies, and then when he dies, Israel loses their mind. They start, right, they start, right, they start to, to worship other gods. That's what they, that's what they do. Right? And so that's what happens. So this is the cycle throughout the entire book, right? So what happens? They fall, the judge died. Well, let's just back up a little. Joshua dies. So what happens? People fall into sin and idolatry. They were apostatizing over and over and over again. God gets angry. And after he gets angry, what does he do? He oppresses them. He uses the nations around them, right, to oppress them and get their, to get their attention to bring them back to himself. Well, of course, during the, during the oppression, what do they do? They cry out in repentance to God. Please save us from these these evil people. Well, what does God do? He's merciful. Yahweh is so merciful because look what he does. He raises up a judge to do what? To deliver them, right? To deliver them. Now that sounds familiar. That's kind of a song we've heard before, right? What did Yahweh do? He raised up Christ to deliver us, right, from sin and death. Same thing, right? Okay, then what happens? Once that, once that, that judge is, 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 has been raised, now we have peace. The judge delivers them, right, from, from their enemies, and now we have a time of peace. The problem is, is that the judge dies. He's human. He dies. And when he dies, what do they do? They go back to sin and idolatry again. So it's just a constant cycle. Now, our deliverer, he died. But, that's, but then he rose, Amen. right? And so now he's alive and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? So he, he's not dead. Physically, he died, but he's not dead. The judge, when they die, that's it. It's over. Now, we've often, as if, if you've heard the story of Samson, it's been depicted in two ways. Often, Samson looks like this guy here on the left, like some sort of Marvel-like superhero. If you look in like children's books or whatever, right, when they draw Samson, he has muscles and he's got locks and he looks like a guy that you just wouldn't want to mess with. But I didn't see that in the text. As a matter of fact, there is nothing in the text that tells us what he looks like. So where do we get this from? Also, 
a love story, right? Hollywood, pop culture, they've taken, right, the story of Samson and Delilah and turned it into this love story, which it is not. That's not in the text either. You know, I remember this, this movie, Samson and Delilah, that's Hedy Lamar. She plays Delilah, and I think that's Victor Mayor. He plays Samson. I remember as a kid watching this, and I was going, hmm, okay, maybe so. I didn't know any better. Until I grew up and got saved and learned, about, learned the real story and found out that's not true at all. But that's what happened. That's what we've heard about Samson. However, the story of Samson depicts real human strength and real human weakness. Samson was a real person. And he has lots of faults, just like we do. Lots of faults. And so... At the same time, now this is, this is a narrative. The, the story of Samson is a narrative among many narratives, right, in the Old Testament. But as we understand, although it's about Samson, it's really pointing to someone greater than Samson. Amen. And that's Christ. Right? Jesus said 20, in Luke 24, 27, he says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Right. Samson is pointing to Christ. He's pointing to Christ. So, let's look at Judges 13. We're going to look at Samson's divine calling. So, in, in, in verse 1, as I said earlier about, about the cycle, in verse 1 we see that it says, again, right, the Israelites were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Abdon was the, uh, was the judge prior to, um, to Samson, and so uh, he dies, and so, of course, Israel loses their mind. They start messing around with the, with the gods around them, right? And, and this, these were these Canaanite gods. And so as a result, what does God do? He turns them over to the Philistines, right, to oppress them. And so they, they, do, they do exactly what we talked about. They cried out to God in repentance, and as a result, God is now starting to raise up a judge, right, to deliver them from the Philistines. And so in 2 through 5, that's what we see here, a man named Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, he had a wife, she couldn't bear children, and then the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her, hey, you know what, I know that you're barren, but it's okay, you're going to be pregnant and you're going to give birth to a son, okay, and then and as a result of that, having that son, now you see, now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean, you'll become pregnant, um, and, and she said, he says, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because, he is a, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, which just really simply means to be separated unto, unto God, right? A Nazarite, right? Dedicated to God from the womb. Now, this is all, this announcement is coming before he was ever conceived. That's right. So he didn't have a choice in the matter, okay? This was Yahweh's plan, not his, not theirs, not Israel's, Okay? And it says, he shall begin, begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, which just simply means, yes, he's going to begin to save them, but that's not going to be the end of their issues with, with the Philistines. But he's beginning the process. God is raising him up for this purpose. And so just to give you a little chart here, just to show you that some of the similarities between uh, Samson and, and Jesus, both mothers, right, were visited by an angel of the Lord. Uh, by an angel, Mary, of course, being, being visited by the Gabriel and then the angel of the Lord, as we know it, right, to be the pre-incarnate Christ, right, visited her and gave her the announcement. Uh, the Holy Spirit's involved in both of their, their births. Samson, of course, as I said, is going to begin to save Israel from the Philistines, but Jesus, right, will save and is saving his people from their sins, okay? 
the name Samson means sun or, or sunshine or light of some sort. And, and, and he's going to, of course, deliver Israel from darkness and darkness representing the, the Philistines. And Jesus is the light of the world. And so he came to save his people from darkness and that darkness, of course, being sin. So those are just a few things. Now, to talk about the Nazarite vow. For Samson, it's forever. But actually, in Numbers 6, 1 through 21, you, if you have some time, you can go out there and read it and learn a little bit more about the Nazarite vow. It's a voluntary vow. Man or woman can, can, can take this vow, and it's either going to be temporary or you can choose to take it you know, for a lifetime. But here are the tenets. Here's what has to happen. Here's what's part of the vow. Number one, you can't have anything from a vine, right? No, no alcohol, no grapes, no raisins, no wine vinegar, none of that. As a matter of fact, you can't even be around the vineyard, okay? You need to be away from it. You need to stay away from it. You need to abstain from all, anything that comes from the vineyard, a vine. Also, you can't cut your hair, so you just let your hair grow. I would have a problem with that because it's not going to grow that long, but you, you, that, that's part of it. And then no touching of a dead body, whether human or animal. Those are the tenets, so keep that in mind. So we jump down to verses 24 and 25. Now, in between all of that is just kind of the, you know, the, uh, the, the angel of the Lord appears. She goes to, to his mom. She goes back and tells her husband. He prays for the angel to return. The angel does return. He gets the message. And so now they're just kind of embarking upon this journey of waiting for the baby to come and, and move forward. But this here marks kind of the beginning of the ministry, okay, or, you know, the ministry of the spirit of the Lord in the life of Samson. Okay, and so she bears a son and calls his name Samson. Of course, the young man grows up. He's blessed. And then the spirit of the Lord begins to stir him. Now, they're from, they're, they're part of the tribe of Dan. They're from Zorah, between Zorah and Eshtarol. That, that Mahana Dan, I think, means the word, it means like camp of Dan. Okay, and so that's, that's where he lives. And so, although it doesn't tell you what's happening or like how the Holy Spirit is stirring him, but I think what's happening is he is preparing him to, to be the deliverer, preparing him to be the judge. Now, here's the thing about the judges. A judge has to have knowledge of the law, of the Torah, and then be able to use the Torah to adjudicate. Okay, so that's what's happening. I think the, the Holy Spirit is preparing him for this. Keep that in mind. They have to have knowledge of, of the Torah and an ability to adjudicate that. Okay. So, again, just some comparisons between Samson and Jesus. His mother, the difference here, though, is that Samson's mother gets to name him. Jesus' mother, Mary here, does not. It, the, the angel Gabriel tells her, you will name him, you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And, of course, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord at various times would come and empower Samson. So you're going to see, if you look in your text, you'll see where it says that the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. So he comes upon him, empowers him, he goes and does something really supernatural and incredible, and then, and then leaves him. Okay? But with Jesus, it's different. The Holy Spirit remained with him until his death. The whole time. And here's the other thing. The Holy Spirit now is with us. And he's with us all the time. Amen. Unlike those in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them the whole time, but we do, which is incredible because we need that comforter, right? We, we need the Holy Spirit. They did too, but unfortunately, at that time, they didn't have that. So we move, now we're going to look at some of his struggles and 
This is really incredible. So, verses 1 through 3 speak of the fact that Samson now is probably a little bit older. Some time has passed. And so he goes down to Timnah um, to see, and he sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. So basically, he lives up in Zorah, which is in the mountains, okay? And then he travels down to Timnah. Timnah is, in the Philist- is, is part of the Philistines' area that they have conquered. And so he goes down there, and, and it says that he sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he comes back, tells his mom and dad, Hey, mom, dad, I saw this, this, this Philistine girl. She's really cute. I want to marry her. All right. And so, uh, but look at what his parents say in verse three. They said, but his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? So you're telling me that there's no woman in Israel in within the, the, the within the tribe of Dan or anywhere else that you could marry that you would you want you fall in love with that you've got to go to a Philistine. This is interesting. OK, he says, but but Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, that's another thing that's going on in Judges, right? Because over and over again, about like two times in the book of Judges, you'll see it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The other, the, other, the other theme or the other phrase that's, that's thematic is, is that they did evil in the sight. Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So over and over again. So, and so Samson is no different. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. Right? Remember, he's a judge. So this is just a, a map showing you uh, that he's up here in Zorah and he goes down to Timnah. So he decides to basically sleep with the enemy. So... Here's the issue with Samson, is that Samson made choices based on his personal desires, personal, rather than Yahweh's guidance. So what you're going to see is that Samson has total disregard for the commandments of Yahweh and his parents. And he's a judge. And here's why. Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4a says, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons for they would turn away your sons from following me. And I added Yahweh in there because Yahweh is speaking through, through Moses here to serve other gods. That's the problem. Now, as a judge, like I said, he had to know the law. So he totally understood and knew this, this passage. So what did he do? He sinned. He disobeyed Yahweh. He went and married, right, someone outside of Israel, and he wasn't supposed to. Now, 2 Corinthians kind of has the same principle here, right? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what does righteousness and wickedness have in common, or fellowship in, uh, or what fellowship can light have with darkness, or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So look, practical application here. Here's the principle. As believers, we don't marry unbelievers. Amen. It's really simple. Believers marry believers. Why? What's, more, what's important to an unbeliever? Themselves. What's important to us? Christ. And well, let me just say this. Sometimes believers think, well, I'll just go and marry this unbeliever because here's what will happen. I'll marry them and then I can, I, you know, and maybe through me, God will save them. No. Yeah, he can. Let me back up. He can. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. Right? There's nothing that can stay his hand. But here's the thing. God would rather that we be obedient 
right? He would rather that we be obedient and do what he tells us to do so that we can escape the heartache and pain that come with, with, with disobedience. Amen. A lot of heartache and pain is going to come to Samson as a result of this. So in verse 4, it says, His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At, the, at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So I have here, Yahweh's sovereignty is on full display in the life of Samson. It was. Samson was, make, was sinning all over the place. He was disobeying Yahweh at every turn. Yet God was, God's plan, God's sovereign plan was still at work in and through him, despite or in spite of his disobedience, his sinfulness. So important note here, Samson's actions are not justified, okay? We don't get to sin and say, well, hey, I sinned, but you know, grace abounds. No, you don't get to do that. Just because grace is greater than sin doesn't mean that you get to sin because grace is greater and it's going to cover. Don't get to do that. No matter how much good Yahweh can bring out of the bad things we do, he can always bring far more good out of our obedience. And here's the thing. We will experience much less pain. Amen. Much less. But sometimes we don't, sometimes we just, you know, well, I'll just do this and I think it'll be okay because, you know, grace abounds. No. Walk in obedience to Yahweh even if it hurts. Even if you're going to lose, you really don't lose. You understand? Sometimes we think, well, I, I'm going to lose this person. I really love this person. It doesn't matter that you love them. If they're unbelievers, you don't need to be with them. Right. Period. Amen. Judges 14, uh, 5 through 18. So, okay, so his parents have accepted the fact that he wants this Philistine girl. So there's these three trips to, to Timnah that we need to look at. First trip, he and his parents are on their way down to Timnah so that they can arrange marriages. So in, ancient, in the ancient times, they would, they, there were arranged marriages. And so his parents are on their way down. I think they go, it looks like according to what I, I found, they left before he did. They go down to talk to the parents and meet, the, meet the, the young woman. And of course, you know, Samson comes after them. Well, on his way down, he gets to a vineyard that's in, in Timnah. And what does he do? He, he's encountered by a lion. Now, it's probably a little uh, a, a mountain lion. That's what I think, because he's coming from the mountains down into Timnah. So it may have been like, it says a young lion in some of your translations. So it's probably a little mountain lion. But the problem is here, is that he goes into a vineyard when, what? He should never have even gone into a vineyard. He's a Nazarite, right? So there's a, there's a vow violation. And so the Spirit of the Lord, says the Spirit of the Lord, rushed upon him. And when it rushed upon him, what did he do? He tore apart a lion with his bare hands. This is a regular guy like you and I. And yet a young lion comes at him and what does he do? He rips it and I think your text says, as he would a young goat. Just rips it apart. Now that's amazing. I can't do that. I would be running, right? But he didn't, okay? He didn't. He stood, it, he, he stood there and he ripped it apart. But here's what he, but then, and then after he does that, he goes to meet up with his parents. But look at what he, but what he doesn't do is he doesn't tell his parents. He doesn't tell them when he gets there what happened to him. So they have no idea. They have no clue what he had just encountered. Okay? That's the first time he doesn't tell his parents. Why? Because they probably would say something about the fact that, hey, you just violated, right? You're a Nazarite vow. The second trip down, he's going down and it says he's going down to get her or to marry her. So now some time has passed. Verses 8 and 9, he's on his way down, you know, now to, to, to marry this woman. 
and he comes across the, the lion that he killed, the carcass of this lion. Okay, and it's probably a long trip. He's probably you know hungry and he needs some, some strength. So he sees the lion, there's some bees in there, and, and the bees have produced honey. And so what does he do? He sticks his hand in the carcass of the lion to get some honey. Once again, what is he what another vow violation, right? Dead, right? Don't touch a dead body, but he does it. And here's what he does, it's interesting. After he gets the after he gets it, he then takes it and he, he takes some down to his parents and he gives them some. Hey, mom and dad found this honey. Have some, right? And so he gives them some. But what he doesn't do again, he doesn't tell them where he got it from, okay? Then on the third trip, he's still down there. His, his father, Manoah, he returns around to finalize some of the marriage uh, uh, plans. And while there, uh, uh, Samson is hosting a seven-day wedding feast. Now, this was common for them to do was to have a, a seven-day wedding feast. And, of course, at this feast, now, he's down there with a bunch of pagans, Let's keep that in mind. He's, there's, there's 30 Philistines. So he comes down, he's having his party, he's got 30 Philistines, and he has a, one of those Philistines as his best man. Now, I don't know about you, if when I got married, I had, a, I had a best man with me that I knew. He's got 30, he's got a best man that he doesn't know, and that person is an enemy. So I think that they probably sent those 30 companions to be with him just to kind of watch and get to know him and figure, figure out Samson. Now, Samson ruled in Israel for 20 years. Israel was under the oppression of the Philistines for 40. So they have intimate knowledge of who Samson is. Now, this is just a snapshot of his life. 13 through 16 doesn't tell you all of what happened those 20 years. So it's just kind of a snapshot of the things that's going on. So they probably want to figure out some things about him. But again, he's at a drinking party. Now, it doesn't say that he was there drinking in the text, but... If he's already violated it twice, you kind of think that he's probably also violating it there a third time as well. So, so of course, while he's there, he poses a riddle to them. And, you know, it's really about the killing of the lion, the terms and conditions of if they could figure it out within the seven days. Only he knew about the, that the fact that he killed the lion because he didn't tell his parents, right? So, of course, he, he, he gives them the terms and conditions. If, if they figure it out, um, then he has to give them 30 sets of linen garments. OK, if 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 they don't figure it out, right, then each of them has to give him a set. So now he has 30 for himself. This is a rigged riddle. Only he knows the answer. No one else knows. But of course, he's being deceptive. Here's Samson, man, being deceptive, a Christian being deceptive. Imagine that. OK, and so time goes on. So three days go by and they still have not figured it out. OK, they haven't figured it out. So now they're upset. And so here's what happens. So out of fear, well, before that, they go to his wife and they say, listen, we need you to find out from Samson the answer to this riddle. And if you don't, then we're going to burn you and your father. Wow. So she's scared to death. She and her father are going to die. And, and here's the thing. She's a Philistine and they're Philistines. And you would think, why would, why would they threaten her? But they did. And so for seven days, she is just weeping and nagging him. And she's just like, please tell me. You say you love me. Tell me so I can tell these people. Well, of course, he does. He gives in. He tells them. They then tell him. They, they didn't give him the answer. So here's the problem. Samson doesn't have 30 garments to give them. Yeah. Doesn't have 30 garments to give. So what is he going to do? How is he going to pay the debt? Interesting. Okay. But he insults them. Now he's angry. So he insults him. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. That's an insult. Now, I don't think he was 
really calling his wife a heifer, but, you know, it sounds like he was, but <laughs> I don't know that I would do that, okay? But he did, and, and so that's what he said, because he was angry. He was, he, his plan was foiled. His plan was foiled. Which moves us then to ninth, verses 19 and 20. At that point, he's mad. So the spirit of the Lord, here comes the spirit of the Lord again. He comes upon him. He, take, he, send, he goes down to Ashkelon. Ashkelon is down near the coast. And so he strikes down 30 men. 30 men. One, and these aren't just 30 average guys on the street. These are 30 Philistine soldiers. One man strikes down 30 men. Strips. Now this is interesting. Look, he strips them of their clothes. Right? And then returns back, right, to pay the debt using their clothes. Man, what a guy. So he gets back, pays his debt. Now he's burning with anger. He is still angry. Okay, he's really probably having like a temper tantrum here. I think that's what's going on because he just got beat at his own game. And so instead of staying there with his wife, right, and, and consummating the marriage, he goes home. He goes back to Zora, goes back and says returns to his father's house. Right. And so here's what the father in law does. The father in law says, well, I guess Samson's not coming back. So I'm going to give her to one of his companions. And that companion happens to be his best man. Wow. This is like days of our lives. It sounds like. Right. <laughs> and so and so she's given to uh, one of his companions. OK. And so just to show you, he's up here in Timna. He travels down near to Ashkelon, which is right there off the Mediterranean Sea. So he goes down there, slaughters some guys and comes back. Now, which takes us into Judges 15, 1 through 17. So, the loss of a wife leads to vengeance, retaliation, and a bunch of dead Philistines. Because he's coming back and he is a man on fire. So, Samson loses his mind. So what does he do? He captures 300 foxes. First of all, I don't know how you do that. How do you capture 300 foxes? I have no idea, but he does. He captures 300 foxes and puts a torch, ties their, their, their tails together, and sends them into the fields. And they burn up. They burn up the Philistine fields. So the Philistines are angry because, listen, that's how people ate back then, right? They, they were farmers. And so now you've just burned our crops. We have nothing to eat. So they're upset. So what do the, the Philistines lose their mind and they retaliate? And what do they do? They murder his ex-wife and his father-in-law. Burn them like they said they were going to do before. So they make, they, they make true on that. Then Samson retaliates, and then he runs and hides. So it says that he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. So in short, it means that he, he didn't just beat them up. Like, he demolished them. He smashed these guys. But then he runs, and he hides in a cave in the Rock of Etam. So then, more retaliation from the Philistines. Once again, he, they retaliate. So what do they do? They take it out, not on him, but on Judah. But on Judah, they besiege this little village called Lehi, and they go there. So here's what happens. They get there. They besiege this little town. The men of Judah, they come out. They come out to, 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 to the Philistines and say, what's going on, man? Why, why are we doing it? What's going on? What do we do? What's the problem? Well, your guy Samson, he just, you know, he just burned up our stuff, and, and, and so we're coming to get him. Okay. So then they go, and they talk to, to, uh, to, to Samson. They send 3,000 men. It took 3,000 men to go down to the rock at Etam of Judah and talk to him. And they make an arrangement with him. And, they, and he says, to, and they ask him, hey, you know, don't you know that these Philistines, well, they tell him, don't you know these Philistines, man, they, they, they're oppressing us. And we don't want any more problems with the Philistines. Well, 
He says, okay, no problem. So what ends up happening after that is he makes a deal with them that as long as they don't kill him, he will turn himself in. He will let them bind him and turn himself in. So they do that. Bring him back to the Philistines. So now the Philistines send a thousand men to come to bring Samson to justice. A thousand men. Well, why? Because they knew he just beat 30. So we've got to bring more. So he breaks the ropes, strikes down a thousand men. But here's another vow violation. The jawbone of a donkey. That's right. The jawbone of the donkey. That's a problem. And then on top of that, he boasts about the victory. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. So now he's bragging. Now he's bragging about what he did. So does Yahweh get any glory in this? Is, is Yahweh being praised? Right, we read Psalm 113 uh, earlier, right? Right, we should be praising the Lord, right? He's not, he's praising himself. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance. Vengeance is mine and retribution, uh, and retribution in due time. Their foot will stumble for the day of, of their disaster is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. He's a judge. He knew that. He knew that. Romans 12, 19 through 21 tells us, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But then he tells us in 21, do not be overcome right, by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's easy to want to take vengeance against someone who has done something wrong to you. That's a human reaction. Someone does something to you or a family member or, or whatever, we want, to, we want justice. And not only do we want justice, we want it swiftly, right? And it, and it needs to hurt, especially if they've hurt someone that we love. But he tells us, never avenge yourself. Never do it. In time, he will deal with it because his justice and his vengeance is perfect. Ours, imperfect. And even when we take vengeance or, or carry out justice, we, we want more. We're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. Important. Yahweh's sovereign use of, of, of Samson's desire for revenge to fight against the Philistines doesn't permit the use of human uh, vengeance. Although God is working through Samson to destroy the Philistines, that doesn't mean, well, maybe if I go after this person and avenge myself, that would be God working through me, right, to deal with their sin. No, never. Human vengeance leads to a vicious cycle of, a vicious cycle of escalation that ultimately leads to both the innocent and the guilty to suffer all the time. Lehi, the, uh, the, the people of Judah, they had nothing to do with the little war that was going on between Samson and uh, in the Philistines. But they were innocent in, in that, right? But all of a sudden, this Lehi gets besieged because of what Samson did. So, verse six, chapter 16, the last portion of his, of his sufferings, or his struggles, I should say. He goes down to, so some time passes, and he's going down to Gaza. Gaza, of course, is, at the, um, is, in, is on the coast. And when he gets there, you know what he does? He goes to find a prostitute. Remember, he's a believer. He's a believer, right? So he goes to find a prostitute, hangs out with her. They know that the, the, the Gazites know that he's there. They're, they're, what they're hoping will happen is that he will come out in the morning. So they're lying in ambush, right? They're waiting. They've been talking about it. They got a plan. When he comes out in the morning, we're going to get Samson. But what happens is Samson gets up in the middle of the night. 
He doesn't, he doesn't leave in the morning. He gets up in the middle of the night, and he, and he leaves. Well, it says, here's the thing. It says, then he took, then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all, puts them on his shoulders, and then carries them up a hill. It's 40 miles from Gaza to Hebron. He puts a city gate. Now, a city gate represents, in, in that, and this is just a, a map of that, just to show you, Tim, you know, where he was up there, all the way over there to, to Gaza, and then Gaza all the way to Hebron. As you can see, it's in the mountains, okay? So he's carrying it from the sea to the mountains, okay? So in ancient times, if your gate, if you have a huge, if a city had a huge city gate, that represented the strength of that city. So the bigger, the more, you know, the stronger that gate is, that spoke to the power and the strength of that city. He picks this up. Now, now Gaza is where all of the lords of the Philistines are. So guess what? Those city gates have to be strong because that's like, it's like, it would be like protecting Congress, right? And, and the president, they have to be behind something, right, that is strong enough and powerful enough to keep them from being attacked, right? So it had, it had significance. But he picks this up, puts it on his shoulders, and starts heading off to Hebron. Well, first of all, if I saw a guy doing that, I'm not going to mess with him. And I think, the, and the Philistines weren't idiots, and they didn't either. They just, right, they just let him walk, walk with it. But here's, notice what Jesus says in reference to the gates. He says, in Matthew 16, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, let me say this to you. The gates of hell are powerful. They're extremely powerful. But the church of Christ is even more powerful. And not because of ourselves, but because of him. So no matter what we go through, it doesn't, they could send everything from behind the gates of hell at us, they lose. Right? This is something that should give us great hope. It should give us great hope to know that no matter what the gates of hell do to us, they will never prevail against us. Never. Never. And so, Delilah. This is not a love story. They have personal agendas. Delilah, she's, well, first of all, Samson, he, ha he loves the ladies. Let me just say that, if you have not figured that out. He loves the ladies. And so he wants her because he wants to fulfill his fleshly desires. Delilah, on the other hand, wants to get paid. That's, that's what she, she wants to help them. She wants to help the Philistines, first of all, figure out what his source of strength is and then get the money. 1,100 shekels of silver, and that's per lord. 1,100 shekels of silver per lord. Doesn't tell us how many lords there were, but you could just do the math. Okay? It's a lot of money. And so... Just some comparisons here. Samson, he's, he's betrayed by Delilah for silver. And in the same way, Judas betrayed Jesus for silver as well. And so she's from the Sorek Valley. You see the little thing of this is Valley of Sorek. That's where she's from. Now, it, it, we don't really know if she's, if she's Philistine or not because her, the name Delilah is actually a Hebrew name. So we're not sure if she's actually a Philistine. But what we do know is that she likes money. And so she did it. So in verses 7 through 20, 
She's trying to, so she makes a deal with the Philistines, the Philistines come to her and say, hey, we need you to figure out, you know, what the source of strength is for him and, 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 and do that. And if you do, we're going to pay you. And so what they do is they set up in her house. And so three times she's asking him, hey, you know, what's the source of your strength? Now, we won't go through all that for the sake of time, but three times she asks the question and she has these, you know, she gives him three scenarios here and he lies to her three times about the source of his strength. Until finally he gives in because she continues to keep nagging him and asking the question. So I said, look at 19, but we don't have to do that. But, but, but verse 19 speaks to the fact that he is sleeping on her lap. Okay, that's the last, this is, this is the end, right? So she is, he's, she's, it says on her knees in your, in, probably in, your, in, in, in the Bible there, but basically it's on her lap. Now to sleep on someone's lap, you have to really know that person, right? You don't just lay your head on someone's knees or lap, do you? No. Hope, hope you don't, right? But children, right? But children, right, they lay on, on their parents' laps, right? As husbands, wives, we lay on each other's lap, right? It's comfortable. There's peace there, okay? I feel comfortable there. I don't worry about anything if I'm lying on my wife's lap or she's lying on my lap, right? There's, there's, there's comfort there. Well, there's really no comfort in Delilah's lap. None. Because eventually... He tells her exactly, you know, what he thinks the source of his strength is, because really the hair is not the source of his strength. It is what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the source of his strength, right? But the problem, what, what, what the issue is here is that this was the last visible symbol of the Nazarite vow. This was it. And so God withdrew himself from Samson and at the same time withdrawing his power from Samson. And so Samson gets captured they gouge out his eyes, they imprison him, and they put him into forced labor. This is, this is what happens when he likes the ladies, especially those that are not the Israelite ladies. Again, Samson, Jesus, he's crying out to Yahweh prior to his death. Jesus does the same thing, crying out to the Father prior to his death. Samson, of course, over, by his death, overcomes the Philistines. However, Jesus, by his death, overcomes darkness, right? Sin, death, Satan, and in death, Samson has his arms outstretched between the two pillars, the two uh, main pillars of that building where he's kind of standing like this and it's, he's pushing against the pillars. So it kind of gives you that, 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 that look of the cross. And, in, and also in death, Jesus has his arms outstretched on the cross. So there are some similarities and, and as well as some differences there. But in this place in Gaza, right, this is a temple, I believe it is. Um, and so now that they've captured him, they're partying. Right. It's a time of worship and really a time of party. So they, there's three thousand plus people in this temple and they are giving honor to Dagon, who is the God that they worshiped for the capture of Samson. OK. But Samson has a, a young man, so he has a blindfold on. He can't see. And he, there's a young man that's leading him around. And so he asked the young man, hey, could you just put my hands, you know, on the pillars? Just let me lean against that. And so the young man does it. And while he's leaning there, he prays. This is his last ditch attempt here. Not really, but, but he's, he's, I think he's come to the point where he realizes it's not about me, it's about Yahweh. Yahweh is the reason why I've been able to do all the things that I've been doing. And, and throughout his time, he has never given any glory to Yahweh throughout, you know, throughout his, his, his story here. And so he prays. But here's the thing in his prayer. Yes, he does come to God in a, more, in a more humble way, but he's still asking for revenge because he's praying for the strength to avenge his eyes, right? He's asking God to, to avenge his eyes, but God is gracious, 
Our, our, our God is so gracious and so faithful and merciful to us. And he, and, and, and he, and he hears them and he, and he obliges. And so he pushes the pillars and 3,000 plus people die, including him. That's what happens. And so, closing thoughts. Here's the thing I think, I think is a good reminder is that our true strength and hope is found in the Lord Amen. and not in ourselves. Amen. True strength. Listen, those stories we heard about Samson, we all thought, man, this guy is incredible. Well, he wasn't incredible. Yahweh is incredible. All glory goes to God and to us, nothing. We must decrease that he might increase, right? Also, when we engage in sin, we must be prepared for the consequences. He doesn't always really receive consequences until, you know, really until the end. But here's the thing about consequences. They're not always immediate. Sometimes the consequences are delayed. Sometimes the consequences don't just affect you. They affect others. When we sin, it's not just about us. You know, we also have people around us. And so sometimes when God punishes, it's not just us. The others feel it. So we need to be mindful of that. And lastly, Yahweh loves us in spite of our sins. He loved Samson. He raised Samson up. He raised him up for a purpose. And that was to deliver Israel. Remember, he's in Hebrews 11. He is a believer. However, here's the thing. If, you, if you're an unbeliever today, repent and believe in Christ. If you are a believer and you're just like Samson, you're just sinning left and right, confess and sin no more. Confess and sin no more. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time and what we've learned from the story of Samson. And we just ask that you'd be with us now as we leave and as we head off back home. Help us to dig even deeper into the story of Samson. I know we just did an overview, Lord, but I just pray that you will, you will help us to go home and, and get into the word and and, and find out exactly what thus saith the Lord, not only in, in the book of Judges, but throughout the entire scriptures. Help us to see you, Lord Jesus, in the scriptures. And then help us, O oh Lord, to take the knowledge that we've received and apply it. And we ask all these things now in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.